What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And it was another very satisfying win over the North Avenue Trade School on Saturday. I know all you guys out there had to enjoy that. And I know that I have been open about not seeing the value in playing them anymore. Uh, now that we are finally in the process of, of maximizing our potential as a program. But man, Kurt, does it not feel good to beat them down and put them in their place? Uh, it really does. And I think the biggest, the nicest part was leaving no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, from like the get-go too. That was the thing. Is like there was no doubt from like snap one. Like it was just over essentially from the very beginning there. And while I, I will still maintain, like I don't see there being a ton of value in us continuing to play. I know that's not going to change. It's not going to change. But I still don't see the value in it. But I will say. Beating them like that, that never does get old. And kind of just putting them in their place and let, showing them who they really are. Uh, just reminding them of that. So that was awesome to see, of course. Uh, and, and I do, I have to own up. We talked about this on the preview show. Uh, I have to own up about being far too nervous about this game, clearly. Because on the preview show, I did list all the reasons why, despite our overwhelming talent, which I knew we had going in, clearly. But I list all the reasons why I was still nervous about this game. I was nervous about our tackling in space. We've had some issues with that recently. Our, red, our recent red zone issues, which have been well chronicled. Um, just the, the offensive inefficiency issues at times down there in the red zone. And the fact that a lot of our key players on defense would be playing the triple, the tech triple option, at least, for the first real time. Now, you can prep for it in practice, but it's not the real thing. So for those reasons, I, I was at least, uh, I, I would say, more than a little concerned coming into this game. Uh, but clearly one thing I am still learning is that this is a very different program than it was even two years ago. Isn't it, Curly? Even from when Kirby took over two years ago, it's a very different program. Yeah, from one year to two, the, the uh, ch- and now year three, the change is just astronomically crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the concerns I had coming into this year's game, I think they would have been well-founded two years ago. Uh, obviously, we ended up losing that game, but it's just it's amazing. Like you said, it's just astronomical how how much we've improved here over over the last two short years. And, you know, like, we are we are prepared game in and game out. And we're just, God, we're just such an exceptionally well-coached team. doesn't mean we're going to win every game. doesn't mean our coaches make every decision perfectly right. But we're just an exceptionally well-coached team top to bottom. And I'm just, for me at least, I'm still adjusting to that reality for so long. I was conditioned to kind of playing down to opponents. You guys know what I'm talking about, the inconsistent preparation and just – really losing games that we never had any business losing. Uh, and games like this to Tech are games in the past where we would have lost, a game that we had no business losing. But that was, like you said, Kurt, from the get-go, like, that was not the case, obviously, this year. And that's just something I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm still getting used to and kind of working through. But, man, just a completely different program than even just two short years ago. So we will recap our takeaways from the Tech game here momentarily, go take you guys through everything that happened. But first, I do just want to quickly remind everyone out there that uh, if you want access to all of our premium content, get all of our shows, get our SEC Championship preview show, our mailbag show leading in the SEC Championship game this week, uh, you can subscribe to all that premium content on Podbean. You just go to our Twitter feed and click on the profile link there. That's at Glory underscore UGA. It'll take you straight to our Podbean page. You click the little yellow Buy Now button. Boom, you get to put in your information, and then you're set to go within a minute or two. Very quick, very easy process. You get access to all of our content for only $2 a month. You also get a free week to try it out. Uh, see if it's something that you guys want to continue with. Uh, we definitely appreciate all of you guys who have kind of taken the, the jump with us there. And uh, we'd love for, uh, for some other people to come there and join us as well. So give it a shot. Get a free week. And uh, if you like it, and keep going with it with the premium content through the rest of the year. But uh, let's go ahead, Kurt, and, and let's get into talking about this tech game. Obviously, 
the rest of the week is clearly going to be focused on a massive SEC championship game. Clearly, we're going to be talking a lot of Alabama this week. But I still, at least for now, want to savor this Tech victory a little bit longer and kind of just go back through this game and talk about what we saw. So, now, again, like this is a game. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. This is a game, at least once we clinched in Kentucky, uh, at Kentucky, this is a game that we had, like, we had to have. Not just because, not just for our dignity, because no dignified team could lose to Georgia Tech. So for that, sure. But also to make the SEC title game next week as meaningful as we were hoping it can be, like for a shot to get into the college football playoff, we had to win this game. We could not afford to slip up, and we absolutely, we all know, we all saw it. We absolutely took care of business and just destroyed. Georgia Tech. I mean, we were up 45 to 7 with 10 minutes and 20 seconds left in the third quarter. We were on pace to score 76 points this game. I mean, Kurt, if we wanted to, could we not have scored 70 plus points and beat them like 70 to 7? Uh, we should have, yeah, but I think we made the right decision of pulling the starters. Yeah, absolutely. You can't, obviously, you can't risk an injury. But even that, it's not even just that, like targeting college, you can't risk anything like that. You saw that with Alabama uh, against Auburn late in that game. You get a guy, now it wasn't a starter. But still, he's a third down uh, dime package DB. And he's going to be out for the first half. They almost got another one, uh, but it didn't quite happen. So you just, there's no need to have the guys in there. What I would say is when we put our backups in, I would still like to see us actually try to score. Uh, I don't think that's the case. Like, we're basically just going to go in, going in there and just trying to get to the locker room. We're not even trying to, to keep the, the foot on the pedal there. And we did it all through the first half, but, and I get Kirby's philosophy. I was talking about this earlier with someone today. Uh, he clearly just, he's of the mind that, it's not really a beauty contest because if we win the SEC championship game, we're going to the playoffs no matter what. So, hey, you know what? Let's just win the game convincingly and get it in the locker room, go prepare for Bama, and let's go play. But, I mean, we just flat out destroyed them. I mean, this game could have been, you know, we could have beat them by 70 points, really, I, I think, if we wanted to. I mean, we held Tech to their lowest rushing total of the year for the second year in a row. And this year, we even outdid ourselves uh, from last year. We held a team that averages 334 yards a game on the ground. We held them to 128 yards rushing, only 2.8 yards per rush. And that is what they do. They cannot win with those numbers. Uh, and, and obviously on the offensive side of the ball, we essentially scored it well. So other than just a major talent edge, or clearly we had the major talent edge, but how were we able to just flat out whip Georgia Tech up and down the field like we did? What were the keys to this victory? Um, the major, major key it, to me is just the, you know simply on both sides of the ball, um, we controlled a lot of scrimmage. I have that in my notes right here. The phrase I put in here is trench domination. That's what it was, right? Yeah. I mean, if you go back and I mean, I saw it obviously live there in the stadium on Saturday, but I went back and rewatched the game today. Jesus Christ, our offensive line, like, they should all be arrested for murder. Like, we murder their defensive line. And, and we should have. This is one of the things we talked about in the preview show, if you guys uh, were subscribed and were able to listen to it. Their, their defensive line is undersized. Uh, and obviously, we know what we have up front on the offensive, on the offensive line there. And we absolutely we just exerted our will there. I mean, they, I mean, I, 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 try, I was trying to count the number of pancakes, and I just lost count. I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with it. I mean, we were just pancaking them left and right, getting movement all over the place. They essentially could not do anything. Like it was, it was scary how much we were able to just dominate them up front. And then you're right on the defense side of the ball, we did a really good job there as well. We had negative. I mean, I think negative plays were one of the keys to slowing down this Tech offense. We had nine tackles for loss. We had three sacks in the game. Um, played with really good discipline, uh, and we were aggressive, but it was controlled aggression, which is how I think you have to approach attacking Georgia Tech. You can't just go out there, you know, 
so aggressive, you're you're blowing assignments, you're not taking care of your responsibilities, you're not playing discipline, you can't do that. You gotta be controlled, but still be aggressive at the same time, which is a fine line, but we were able to do that. Uh, what about the offensive side of the ball? Other than the other than the trenches, which is clearly where we dominated, what else did you see from our offense? Uh, I think the biggest thing was just uh we executed. I mean, when the plays were there, we made we made them. You know, we made the throws, we made the runs, we made the catches. I think that's the biggest thing. Is, uh, you know, I thought in all facets of the game, everyone did their job. You know, the receivers were blocking downfield. I mean, it, it was just everyone was doing their assignments. As simple yeah. as that. And it sounds so simple, right? And you're like, and I know everyone out there is probably expecting some more like detailed analysis. It's like it really is that simple, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you saw Fromm drawing the ball on time to his receivers. The receivers making the catches. I mean, the running backs were making their, their the right reads and bouncing outside when they needed to and the cuts and everything. And then when they needed to, our you know our uh, wide receiver stuff were blocking downfield. I mean, you even saw so. I mean, the the last couple of weeks, especially ever since the LSU game, our tight ends too have done a really uh, good job of blocking too on like peel back blocks and things like that. And that's what I think everyone is just doing their job, and that's why you're finally seeing this offense click. Is because most of this, you know, the first part of the year we weren't you know we weren't it was little things here and there yeah exactly that's what hurt us one missed block would stop uh, you know would make it a four yard run instead of a 20 yard run and now we're doing you know every i think we're finding our rhythm and everyone's doing their assignments and that's why things are finally clicking you mentioned the tight ends i know you mentioned a lot of things there it's a great breakdown i but you mentioned the tight ends because you and i were both pretty critical of them early in the season not so much in regards to catching but it's just blocking yeah, that's all it was. I mean, there were a couple of plays. Remember, remember back to the South Carolina game when Charlie Warner got run over a couple of times in that game? And it's like, yeah, dude, I mean, what he are you doing? Yeah, he was so. he, I mean, I'll be honest. He was struggling. And Charlie Warner's a guy that I really like, have a lot of respect for, even back when he was in high school. But he was struggling early on. But, dude, he has come around and has become a borderline do- – him and not a both uh, have become borderline dominant blockers out there on the perimeter for us. They, they have done a massive job – uh, in terms of, of, of sealing the inside there or sealing the edges. And allow our, I mean, think about some of the big runs that we've had, especially Holyfield. Holyfield really likes to press line streamers and bounce it outside. He's not able to do that if our tight ends are not sealing the edge there. So I just want, I, I, I know you mentioned that. I just want to give them another uh, little bit of a prop there because those guys are just getting the job done, man, right now. They are, they are really playing at a high level, much better than they were playing early in the year. But I think you're right, man. It's, it is just execution. And what I have here in my notes – trying to explain how we were able to do what we did at Tech, it's, to me, it's just two words. It's offensive efficiency. That's what I call it. It's offensive efficiency. And that was one of the things that I pinpointed also in the preview show getting prepared for the Tech game is that we had to be efficient on offense. To beat Georgia Tech, since you don't get a ton of possessions usually because they're trying to control the clock. Now, they could not control the clock against us. We actually controlled the clock against them. Uh, they, they, had the, they had the ball one time. They had one possession in the first quarter, right? Yeah. I remember correctly, one time in the first quarter. Uh, we were just completely controlling that game. So, But regardless, against Tech, you have to be efficient. And it's not just you know controlling the clock like we were able to do, but it's when you get opportunities to score and you get down the red zone, you have to get six. You cannot settle for field goals because, yeah, you have to finish. Right? You mentioned that in the previous show as well. We have to finish drives. And and that was one of the reasons I was at least a little bit worried. Well, actually, more than a little worried coming to this game was we haven't, other than the UMass game, which, and again, I don't know how much you can take away from that game, but other than that game, we've had issues in scoring touchdowns in the red zone uh, since the, I guess, starting with the Florida game, you know, Florida, Kentucky, and then Auburn. We've had we've had some well-documented issues there. So that was a concern of mine. But, dude, we responded with the best showing that this offense, I think, has had all year. I mean, isn't that fair to say? Is this the best this offense has looked? Yeah, it is. I, mean, I yeah, agree. It has to be. I mean, we were talking about the red zone issues and how, how uh, efficient we were. 
we were five of five, not just scoring, five for five with touchdowns in the red zone, with the exception of the, the field goal right before the half when we just essentially ran out of time. If we, if we had more time, we were going to score a touchdown there. They, they, they simply could not offer any resistance to our offense. So that offensive efficiency combined with the trench domination on both sides of the ball, getting negative plays against the tech uh, offense, which puts them behind the chains and, and keeps them off schedule. And that's something that they really need to be on. They need to be on schedule. And they're tough when they're on schedule and they get in these third and short situations, maybe a fourth and short. Uh, we were, but we were able to, to do enough there, play with good discipline, that controlled aggression. Um, and it just it all spelled out to a flat-out whipping of Georgia Tech, and it was just a glorious sight to see, man. Again, I, I don't know if it provides a lot of value to continue to play them, which I know we will, but it does feel good, man, to just whip them up and down the field like that. It wasn't even close. was not even close. Uh, all right, let's move on a little bit here, Kurt, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, it's similar to what we've done the past couple of weeks, but Kurt and I are just going to kind of go back and forth with talking points here. I'm going to I'm gonna throw something out. We're going to talk about it, and Kurt's going to throw another topic out. We'll go there. It could be anything. It could be a question. It could be a specific player or a unit, whatever it might be. But uh, I'm going to go and get it started here, Kurt. And since I'm the resident Jake Fromm uh, fan, I guess, I, I always get crap for that, for just being a Jake Fromm home, which is fine. You can call me that. I just I try to be as objective as possible. I, I thought he played very poorly against LSU. We, I mean, I don't think I, I don't see how you could really argue anything other than that. But I'm going to start with Jake Fromm here and talk about, okay, yes, he, he was bad against LSU. I mean, doing things that Jake Fromm never does. But, Kurt, how good has this guy been since that game? Um, you know, I th- he's, he's been a lot better. I think, uh, you know, yeah, he, I think more than anything, he's just, I think he, he, he felt challenged and I think he responded to the challenge. He absolutely did. I mean, and again, let's make no bones about it. He was just flat out bad. He was a major reason why we lost the LSU game. It was far more than just him, but he was a big part of that loss. Uh, and you can see him on the sideline. The dude was like, I mean, he was fighting off tears. Uh, if you go back and watch the, uh, if you watch the, the replay of that game, uh, it was hard on him. It was hard for the whole team because he knew, he knew, he knew that he he let his team down there. But he responded like I fully expected Jake Fromm to respond, like a freaking champion. That's who this guy is. He's a leader. He's a guy that goes out there and just has got the mental fortitude to get the job done. And and, and all of this is after that game, all the criticism he got, people calling for Justin Fields, Fields breathing down his neck, and Fields is as talented as can possibly be. And he's still able to come out with all that noise in the last five games. Listen to these numbers. The last five games since that LSU game. And this is against Florida's defense, good defense. Against Kentucky's defense, very good defense. Auburn's defense, good defense. Tech, not so much. UMass, not so much. But still, three good defenses. Over the last five games since that LSU game, he's completing 69% of his passes. Uh, 11.4 yards per pass. That's crazy. 69% of your passes for 11.4 yards. That's nuts. I mean, usually when it's 69%, it's because you're dinking and dunking. You might average 7 to 8 yards per pass. 11.4. 11 touchdowns to one interception with a 94.8 QBR. The only quarterback in the country with a higher QBR over the last five games than Jake Fromm is Kyler Murray, who's a Heisman Trophy candidate who has a 95.4 QBR uh, that ESPN keeps track of. Uh, and, and for the season, he's third nationally in passer rating. He's fourth in yards per pass and eighth nationally in completion percentage. This guy has been off the charts in his sophomore year. He's had one really bad game. But other than that, especially the last five games, he's responded like a beast, like a boss, and he is playing lights out right now. How does he? The, the way he's playing, does that give you any confidence leading into this Alabama game? 
it does, but I think the biggest thing that has given me more confidence ever since the LSU game is his pocket presence. I feel like he's getting rid of the yeah. ball quicker, making his reads faster. Because before I thought he was he was a little gun shy, it almost seemed like. Now in, so, in, in the South Carolina game, there were a couple instances of that of sure sure. Yeah, I, I think you're right I feel there. like right now he, he's, he's playing a lot more loose and a lot more confident, and uh, you can see it out there. The offense just looks better. I mean, just, uh, you know, Saturday he had those two great touch throws, the one to Terry and that touchdown pass Gosh, to, uh, just to, uh, to uh, Holland. I mean, those were great throws. I mean, and, th- and Jordan Rogers in the, in the telecast said it right. On both those plays, those guys were covered. They were not really open, but his ability to be accurate with touch on the ball, that's almost uncanny. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff that can absolutely win you football games when you're playing really good defenses that have very tight windows. It's that kind of accuracy. Now, it remains to be seen whether he's going to do it on Saturday. He's got he's to gotta, he's gotta come out and perform in the, on the biggest of stages, one of the biggest stages, I should say, against a really, really good defense. But uh, he's played some good defenses the past five, five weeks, too, and he's performed not an Alabama-level defense, but good defenses. And he's performed very, very well in those situations. I mean... You're right. Right now, he's. I think he's playing the, the last five games. Did you say he's the five best games of his career? Um. Yeah. More. More likely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there might be a couple games here and there. I mean, Missouri last year, he put up 300 plus yards. Uh. But and, and he's never going to put the the huge yardage totals because that's just not what we ask him to do. Uh. But when what we ask him to do, he's he's just become incredibly efficient. I mean, pre snap, getting us in the right looks, the right protections, the right blocking schemes. And then post snap, he's winning with his eyes, diagnosed where to go with the ball. That that touchdown, the long touchdown to Mikol, is a perfect example of all of that. Um, you know, pre snap, he diagnosed what the coverage was, and he knew that they were going to have that line, Brant Mitchell linebacker matched up on Mikol Harbin, which is a major mismatch. Brant Mitchell runs like he's got feet in concrete, man. There's no way he's going to keep up with Mikol Harbin. But Fromm was able to diagnose that. He saw what it was. And then to keep the safety uh, off of Mikol there over the top, he uh, post snap, he Puts his eyes immediately to the left there on Charlie Warner, gets a safety to, to commit over there, and boom, you got one on one coverage, Miko Hardman with Brant Mitchell, and it is it's a done deal. And I mean Miko had to do his part, but a lot of that was Jay from pre snap and post snap getting that job done. Just just I mean, he's playing at a really high level. He's throwing with confidence, accuracy. And as good as Fields is, I know a lot of people want Fields to get more in the field, and I think he's a weapon. I think we can use Fields more than we have in certain situations. But as talented as Justin Fields is right now, the reason why Justin Fields can't get on the field more is the level of play that Jake Fromm's putting out there week in and week out. Like at this point, can you justify taking Jake Fromm off the off the field right now? Uh, no, he's making it hard to do that. He really is, and like as much, and I would love to see more because I feel because I in certain situations because I think that he brings something to the table and he's a weapon that we can use. But again, it's just really, when Fromm is playing as well as he's playing right now, it's just really hard to pull him off the field. Um, but again, like I said, he's going to have to go and do it against the best of the best next week. Uh, and that remains to be seen. Like we, It was a bad outing against LSU. It might look that way again against Bama. I hope not. I hope not. But I think right now, the last five weeks, he's playing as well as just about any quarterback in the country. You know, Kyler Murray's playing a high level. Tua's obviously Tua. Uh, but other than that, I mean, Fromm, is, he's playing as well as anyone out there right now. It gives me a little bit of confidence, at least, heading into this Bama game. There's no doubt. All right, Kurt, what's the out to you watching this game, man? Where do we want to go next? Um, I want to say the defensive line, their play. Yeah, you know what? I thought they played outstanding. Like, who is there anyone in particular that kind of stood out to you? Um, I think both defensive ends with uh, Malik Carey and John Ledbetter. I thought they both played really, really well. Yeah, I got, I got led, I got led. Actually, led in here and here in my notes. You, you hit it in the nail on the head there, man. Does anyone play on? on every, I think across the board on defense, our guys play hard. But is there anyone on our defense who plays harder than Jonathan Ledbetter? It's hard to find it. In- 
it not only I mean it not only does he it's hard to find someone that plays harder than him, but someone that gets as doesn't get as much credit as he does. I mean, he does a lot of this without very much credit because people yeah. don't see everything that he's putting into it. He does, um, the, you know, the, and the three four, the five tech defense event. It's not like a three. It's not like a, a four three defense event where you get on the pass rush glory. It's all the dirty work, right? That position, yeah. and he does it with with like eagerness you know like he he doesn't care he, he goes out there and he just plays hard man i mean how many times this guy getting chase plays down from the backside I, and oh, I mean, i'm talking across the field and this is the defense more, more. yeah i mean there was a, there was one he chased down to uh, i believe it was take one marshall who had the ball yeah he chased it down and slammed it from the other side even uh jordan rogers showed the replay it's just I mean, yeah it's yeah it's that plays that's what i'm thinking of yeah it's just i mean he, but that's nothing new for John Lillard. If you really watch this guy closely, he does it all game long. And I, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about him, and I, I mentioned the game, uh, the Rose Bowl, and the play that that stopped a a, uh, a conversion it was a third down play. He stopped him one yard short, helped us get another stop there, and, and to get further into that game in the second half. And it's just that's just what he does. And and it's and it's not just like, but he's not one of those guys that's okay. Well, he's a hustle player, and you know, because he, he has to make up for deficiencies athletically. This guy's a really good player. You know, I mean. He's athletic. I mean, I, I, I think he's gonna have a shot in the NFL, don't you? Yeah. I think he's gonna have a shot. I really I really think he's gonna have a shot. He's playing well. And what about Malik Herring? Like we we've had David Marshall go down, which I was concerned about because this David Marshall is another guy that's kind of an underrated piece of our defense. And he's out and he's on one of those little rolly, I don't even know what you call him, with his leg up on it. Um and uh, so Herring's had to step in there. How good is Malik Herring playing right now? Honestly, I've always thought Malik Herring may be better than uh, David Marshall. I think he's got more upside. When you, yeah, when you look at his package, I think Marshall is just a smarter player between the two, you know, more experience yeah. and things like that. But the more experience Herring's getting, the better he is getting. He's getting really good, man. I mean, and it, the the personnel, was, it was an interesting personnel, uh, or I should say we had some interesting personnel looks out there. I mean, Julian Rochester and Tyler Clark hardly played in this game. How, what do you make of that? Is that? Was that the right – I mean, obviously it worked out well. Was it, Did that surprise you at all? Did see those two guys, our stalwarts on the defensive line, just not really play much at all in this game? It did a little bit, but I think that we found a uh, you know a lineup, especially against Tech, that worked. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you guys all saw this. You know, you got your nose guards, which actually started with um, oh, what's his name? Oh, that's escaping me right now. Barnett, Michael Barnett, started at nose guard for the first series, and remember Jordan Davis and Jordan Davis plays the majority of the snaps the rest of the way. Barnett got a couple more looks there, but mainly Jordan Davis at nose. And then basically, basically they were like a four-eye technique, uh, which were uh, a lead better and herring for most of the game. And then you got the stacks on the outside. You got Walter Grant and uh, and uh, DeAndre Walker, which didn't really surprise me too much. They may, I mean, Walter Grant played more than he has all, maybe all year in this game. Like it was just, again, just scheme and, and who we were playing. But Malik Herring is becoming uh, a really, really good player for us, and this is something that we needed. Like we needed guys on the defensive line to step up, and he's certainly a guy that that is doing some really good things and just growing and growing and better with each and every week. So, yeah, I was really pleased with our defensive line there, and Jordan Davis, man, like, and we'll, obviously we're gonna get into this more when we talk about Alabama and preview that game. Could he be a potential difference maker against Alabama? Because he's a guy that. That early in the season, we were having some of the issues. He was not playing as much. We've talked about this a lot throughout the year. But could he be a guy that could really help us slow down this Alabama attack? Uh, he could. I mean, he's just he's just been a difference maker since he started playing. It's just we didn't have a guy like that. We talked about that a lot this year. We haven't had a guy like that. And he's another guy. I like Harry. It's hard to say, but it's true. He gets better every week. And he's already he's already playing at a high level for a guy who really didn't play much at all until about halfway through the season. I mean, I think I remember seeing him for the first time in, in true like meaningful downs against Tennessee. Got a couple of uh, maybe like six or seven snaps in that game, um, but he's just played more and more and more. To now, it's like we haven't touched on getting a guy off the field. 
Like he's just playing really, really well. So good call there on the defensive line. Uh, you know, there's a couple of other things. I, I want to talk. We mentioned the offensive line, how, how the offensive line is performing uh, as a whole. Talk to me about Trey Hill. What do you see in this guy? Uh, just an absolute baller. It has like really has there been any drop off at all at that position with all the injuries we've had? Honestly, no, and I think that's why people, you know, are really undervaluing Sam Pittman. I think he should be, you know, the assistant coach of the year because what he's been able to do, because not only with the depth and you know the, getting all these players in, but not seeing a huge drop off. It's crazy. I mean, I, I was even with Hill as, as highly talented, highly touted as this guy was, as talented as he is, and he got tree trunks for legs. Like, I, I'm really high on the guy, but I expected there to be a, to be at least a little drop off, maybe from like just blown assignments and that kind of thing, just not exactly knowing what to do, maybe some hesitancy here and there. But that has not been the case. I, I, I know that Cade Mays has played more than Trey Hill, so we've seen more of him. But I think Trey Hill played just as well as Cade Mays is playing that position. And Cade was playing at a really high level himself, and you know, filling in for Ben Cleveland there. So that it's just amazing what we've been able to do in the offensive line. We talked about this a little bit last week about how, like in years past, if we had like even one or two of the inches we've had this year on the offensive line, uh, our offense, our offense in general, which have just crumbled. But we keep plugging guys in, and they are all ready to go. And, and you're right. Sam Pittman has got to win. He has simply got to win the Broyles Award this year. I mean, how many starters have we had go down the offensive line this year? Let's see. We got uh, – we had Thomas with the first one, right? Was that against South Carolina? Right? The second game of the year. Yeah, yeah it was. It was South Carolina. He goes down. Then Ben goes down the, two weeks later against uh, Missouri. He hasn't really played – I mean, he play, came in and played a little bit against Auburn uh, in – once Cade Mays got hurt, and then he sprained his ankle, it's just God, it's just a problem there. Then Cade gets hurt. Uh, we had Gilliard get hurt in the game. That's four. Uh, so at least four. Well, Solomon, yeah, Solomon came back in. So at least four starters have been out at different points this year, and we have not really missed a beat. In fact, I think our offensive line has gotten better as the year's gone on, which is hard to imagine. I mean, the only is the only guy who hasn't really missed any time, Isaiah Wilson. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna knock on wood right now, but I think so. But man, just and, and Trey Hill. I mean, I I had my eyes on Trey Hill in this game because we don't know what the hell situation is gonna be with Cade Mays or Ben Cleveland next week. We know that Ben's cleared for for contact. I mean, he's he's playing on the punt team last uh, on, on Saturday, so we know he's cleared for contact. He's just he's kind of fighting back from that ankle injury. We've got other options there that we feel good about. You know, why put him in that situation? We can get hurt again. Uh, just let him get back a little healthier. Uh, but you know. I was watching Trey very closely. There's a good chance he's going to have to play some serious snaps for us against Alabama. So I had my eyes on him. I know Tech's not the Alabama front. Obviously, obviously we know that. But uh, I was watching very closely. And, dude, I mean, he was pan- I mean, panking people left and right. I mean, he was just mauling people. And uh, I was highly, highly impressed with what I saw there. Again, I did not see much of a drop-off at all from what we saw with Cade Mays, who was, again, playing at a really high level. And Ben was, too, before he got hurt. Uh, let's all right. Let's assume that all three guys are healthy and ready to go on Saturday against Alabama. Trey Hill, Cade Mays, Ben Cleveland at that right guard spot. Who starts? Um, I'd probably go with Cleveland. Just the fact, I think he may be a little bit more polished in the run. Or I mean, the pass block. Even though he hasn't played since week four, really. Uh, I mean, it's dangerous. There's a rust factor there. There's got to be. There has to be, but he has at least got game. You know, PT. I mean, he's got more experience than the other guys for sure altogether. Uh, and I, and, it's, and we all know how I mean it's well documented how strong Ben Big Ben is. But you know with 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 the injury of the leg, he wasn't doing a lot of leg work. Um, so and so he's got to build that back up a little bit as well. I'm sure. I mean he's got plenty of muscle memory. It's not going to be a big issue there. Uh, but I think you're right. If they're all if they're all 100 healthy, 
I think you go with Ben because there's a reason we're starting to start the season, right? Yeah. Because he was the better option. I mean, those other guys have grown some. We'll see. But I think if all things being equal, if they're all 100% healthy, you go with Ben. Um, but we don't know the relative health of all those guys. We don't know exactly where they are. We know that Trey Hill is 100% healthy. The other two, we don't know. We'll see. I, I think we've, we feel pretty good about getting Kate in there um, or get him back. Because Kirby was talking about there's a good chance. Or they were hopeful he would get cleared last week. didn't quite end up happening. So I think he'll probably be good this week if I had to guess. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But what, however it works out, we have a lot of good options there, which is something that we certainly could not have said in years past. All right, Kurt, what's up next up for you, man? Uh, I mean, I think the big uh, another thing we have to talk about is just the uh, tackling on defense. You know, I mean, yeah. we have we haven't we've actually we're pretty low in the SEC in missed tackles, but I felt like the last couple weeks we haven't tackled well in space, and I thought we did a real good job of tackling in space, which is going to be big against someone like Alabama. So you you hope it's something that you can continue to carry on. Yeah, I I, I was impressed, man. And look, if you look at the numbers, like we're actually one of the better tackling teams in America. Which doesn't that kind of defy what you see sometimes out there? It does, and I think that's the thing that shocks me the most. When I saw that stat, I was like, wow, that's shocking, because it feels like every time we're in space, we miss a tackle. And maybe it's because we just watch every one of our snaps, and we watch it so many times and, and so intently that it just kind of is magnified for us when we do miss tackles, because other teams miss tackles too. Uh, but it, it, especially against Florida, I mean, it really is like, kind of uh, starting with the LSU game. LSU game, we missed a ton of tackles. Uh, we were in position, we were just missing tackles in Florida. I remember Nature's a couple of times, in position, just – overrunning plays and just like oh, what are we doing they had a couple of plays against kentucky uh some against auburn uh but again i think it's probably just magnified because we put so much on every single snap for our guys but uh we against tech though they're a team that if you don't tackle in space they're going to hurt you and uh we did a really good job I and mean, there were a, a few missed tackles here and there uh but nothing nothing overwhelming and nothing that really ended up hurting us but i thought we played really well out in space and I, I, I gotta give credit to our coaches for for working on that, identifying a weakness. You heard, you've, we've heard Kirby talk about it, and then going out and correcting, getting it, getting it fixed. And I gotta give credit to the guys for going out there and, and working to get better and to, for themselves to correct an, an issue that we were having at times. Um, what about the the young guys out there on defense? Uh, were you as surprised because we were talking about how Otis Reese? We thought he oh, might. That's what I was gonna bring up, Dave. All right, go, go ahead. Bring up Otis Reese. No, no, you're right. No, keep going. You're right. But yeah, we we uh, like you and I both like we were talking about how we thought Otis Reese would be a pretty big part of this game plan. Uh, as a guy that maybe we could put, it, and, and it's hard to know because we don't really know exactly what we're going to do schematically. Uh, we thought maybe he's a guy that can fill in for Tyree McGee, and maybe we could use him in that, that kind of that, that stack eye formation, looking that that top, uh, I guess dot in the eye, whatever you want to say there that Roquan was playing uh, last year. But uh, did he play? Uh, one, like, well, before we got into like. Uh, let's just be real, garbage time. Did he play any snaps on defense before garbage time? I didn't really see him any. It's hard to really not, I mean, it's hard to say. I, I, I certainly have not seen him there. The what do you make of you, that? Uh, I mean, I think it made it just that, because like takes that one play, you know, they're always that one play away from hitting a big pass on you. Yeah. I, but, the, I mean, we didn't play him, but we did play the two freshmen in Tyndall and, uh, and Adam play. Anderson a lot. We put, yeah, Anderson is coming on, dude. Adam Anderson is coming on, and, and, and Tyndall is coming on. Uh, as Adam as Anderson's well. a big game changer too. Anderson has the potential to be a. I don't. I'm not okay. I'm not going to get over. I'm not well over. Not overconfident. Certainly not overconfident. But I'm not going to get ahead of myself here and call him like a two a stopper. Uh, but it, when we play, the, when we bring in our dime packages against Alabama, I'm telling you right now. He is going to be used as a spy in certain situations against Tua. We used him in that role against Kentucky with Terry Wilson, 
and he played that role very, very well. And I said at the time, I thought, I mean, obviously we didn't play him in that role against Kentucky to prepare for two. We played him in that role against Kentucky to stop Terry Wilson. But by doing so, I think we're giving ourselves a chance to, to utilize him in a way that we can really be, that can be effective against Alabama and to his legs. Uh, and I, I really think he's going to be a uh, – now, look, and we don't know because I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like, we have no idea what the game plan is going to be. I mean, we can guess and, and speculate. But if you look at how much more this guy's been playing each and every week, don't you really think he's going to be a, a, at least a part of the game plan on Saturday against Alabama? Oh, you have to. I, I mean, I would say – I feel confident saying that on third downs in the dime package. He's going to be – like, we're, we were essentially using him kind of like we used uh, Lorenzo Carter last year in those situations. Uh, and I think I'm not going to sit here and say he's quite the athlete Lorenzo is because Lorenzo is a freakish athlete, but he's not too far off. Uh, he's not too far off. I think he can be a big help for us there. Uh, who do you think is the better pure pass rusher, him or DeAndre Walker? Oh, pure pass rusher, probably him. I think Walker's yeah. developed, but if you're going off pure ability, it's hard to say it's not Walker. Yeah. Uh, Anderson. Yeah, yeah, Anderson. I, Walker's a really Walker's a really athletic dude himself, man. I mean, he's got some explosiveness. Uh, coming off the edge there, but I, I think Anderson might have a, a step more explosive than even DeAndre Walker does. Now, he's not as big and strong and as experienced as DeAndre Walker, of course, and that's the thing with Anderson. That's the knock. It's like he's got to put on more weight. He still needs to put on weight, um, and and I think that's the reason why he didn't play more earlier in the season, and a guy like Brent Cox was able to get on the field more is because he was just physically there and, uh, and and better better equipped to handle the run than Adam Anderson was, and still is to this point. Anderson's still got to put on some weight, but, man, he gives us something out there as an athlete that I, I think we can really uh, use to our advantage against Alabama on Saturday. We'll see. We'll, we'll definitely see. Do you uh, – I saw Quay Walker get in there, not in really meaningful time. In the third quarter, he started to get in there about halfway through the third quarter. Uh, do you still say – who do you think has the high – I mean, obviously Channing Tindall has been getting more reps than Walker has. He's a little bit further ahead this time, probably from a mental standpoint. He actually played more of that true inside linebacker position in high school where Walker's playing all on the outside, playing in space a little bit more. Who do you think right now? I know we haven't seen a ton of them. I've either one of the guys. Who would you like if you had to, to handicap it right now? Which of those guys is a higher ceiling long term? Long term, I go with Quay. But yeah, I do. I I still go with Quay. Uh, but I think he's not ready to help us right now in that situation. At least he at least not not as close, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, when he was in there. Just looking at, and again, he didn't make any like remarkable plays that you know that stick out in your memory. But just watching the guy run around and just move out there on the football field, the talent just oozing off of him, man. Like Quay Walker is going to be a big time inside linebacker force. He's not there yet, still got to learn. But I think he, sooner rather than later, he's going to be a big time inside linebacker force. As will Channing Tindall, who certainly obviously has been playing a little bit more, a lot more than uh, than Quay Walker has. A little bit ready, I think, in my opinion. A little bit further ahead from a, a knowledge standpoint of how to, and just kind of an instinctive standpoint on how to play the inside linebacker position. Um, do you think Tindall's going to have much of a role against Alabama? Well, uh, I wouldn't be shocked, especially on passing downs or things like that, just because it's hard to keep him off the field. His athletic ability. Yeah, it's tough to say, man. Like I don't know. Like basically, when we go to our dime package, we bring in that's when we bring in Jawan Taylor as our as our one remaining inside linebacker. So we take the second inside linebacker out for, to replace with the money the money position, which is uh, Mark Webb essentially. Uh, so. Maybe that situation. I mean, because I don't. I still don't say we, we're not going to take Juwan Taylor off the field on that situation and put in Channing Tindall. Unfortunately, we're not going to right now because Kirby doesn't trust him. I mean, even, even against Tech, you can see like he would make him like. I, there was one play in particular. I don't know. I can't remember the second or third quarter. I was watching it live in, in the stadium, and he makes a mistake, and Kirby pulls him right off the field and and just 
you know, just talks to him on the sideline, gives him a talking to, explains something to him there, and then sends him right back out. So he's still learning, and I just don't know if Kirby trusts him in that situation, in that game, to put him out there, uh, even though he's more talented, clearly, than Juwan Taylor. Juwan just has to trust the coaches, and Kirby does obviously seem to place a premium on that, but... We'll see. I think I think he's going to be like Anderson's going to have a role. He'll be in there in certain situations, and uh, we'll just kind of see how that uh, how that rolls, man. All right, what you got next, man? What's up next? Um, I want to bring up Kirby's post game comments. Actually, all right, what you got? Uh, Kirby more or less taking a shot, saying you know he doesn't like uh, having to prepare for the triple option. If they keep playing like they're playing, they won't have to worry about it that much longer. What do you take? What do you make of make of all that? Oh, uh, pretty much he's. I think he's openly saying he's coming for Paul Johnson's job. <laughs> I think he is too. Like, as you know, Paul Johnson, I mean, very famously likes to take shots at our program. You know, he'll, yeah, I mean, he'll, he already did earlier this week when he was talking about the quarterback competition, trying to, you know, bring up a controversy that once again. That doesn't even really exist. Uh, and, and he'll, he'll not miss any opportunity to talk about how he's won two in a row in Athens. Well, previously two in a row in Athens, right? Yeah. Um, he'll never miss an opportunity to bring that up, and just he's kind of, kind of passive aggressive. Just sort of takes little snarky shots at you. Just kind of guy you want to punch in the face if you saw him in person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, obviously, Kirby is too dignified to do that, but uh, uh, but you know what Kirby can do? Kirby can get him fired. Uh, and uh, if we keep beating them like that, uh, that might happen sooner rather than later. Because there's a lot of tech folks that I, I think the rank and file tech fans are not thrilled with him. Uh, he does. This is what Paul Johnson does, though, right? Like he'll he'll have a year like last year. They miss a bowl game. They'll come back and he'll win some games. And he'll, you know, he'll beat Miami. He'll beat the crap out of Virginia Tech and go seven and five and get to a decent bowl game. And and then everyone in Techland's happy. Uh, at least administration is happy. And then he'll come back next year and he'll he'll go four and seven or he'll go four and eight again or five and seven. And then he'll come back the next year and, and he just basically he, he does just enough every other year or so to keep his job because let's be real, they know they're Georgia Tech and they know like. They're not really gonna be able to compete on a on a on a national level. That's why they went with the triple option in the first place. And if they get, and see, they put themselves in a in a really bad position, didn't they, by hiring him? But they, well, the thing is, like you said, they always extend him. They right, they always extend him. But I think the thing is, once you once you take that leap and you go with the triple option at Georgia Tech or anywhere, you that's that what you're basically doing is you're committing your program and your in your institution to that triple option because if you ever decide to go away from it you're talking about at least a 3 to 4 year rebuild right yeah because no. every everyone you have offensively is built around playing the triple option you have yeah, literally no one with, uh, George Southern trying to go away from it and look what happened yeah it was a disaster it was an absolute disaster you can't do it because, I mean, even your offensive linemen, you recruit smaller, quicker offensive linemen to be able to do the cut blocking stuff. If they, next year, if they fire Paul Johnson and hire like a pro style guy, they would get absolutely murdered. They might lose 12 games. They might go 0 and 12 next year if they did that because their offensive linemen average like 275 pounds. They have no quarterback on the roster that can actually complete a forward pass. I mean, they just don't. So I, I, it, that that's the problem that Tech faces is, yeah, they want to get rid of him because he's just, he's like the, the pitcher of mediocrity. But uh, at least that's better than going 0 and 12 or 1 and 11 because that's what's going to happen for a couple of years if, if and when they get rid of him and they go with someone else that's not a triple option guy. I mean, is, is, is am I crazy saying that? No, it's it's not. I mean, like we said, you saw it with George Southern. So imagine on an even bigger scale when you're playing Power Five all the time. Yeah, and I mean, and I get why they went triple option because like they know they're not going to be able to, to compete year in year out recruiting with us. It's not just us. I mean. We we still have to. I mean, ourselves. We compete with Alabama and Auburn and Florida and 
Clemson and whoever the heck else wants to come to Atlanta because everybody wants to come to Georgia and recruit. And Tech, can, I mean, Tech is like at the bottom of even that totem pole within their own state. So they're never going to get the, those kind of players consistently. They might get a like Calvin Johnson here and there who just for whatever reason wants to go to Tech. Uh, but consistently they're not going to be able to compete and they know it. So at least the triple option gives them something that's a little bit different. Um, but they kind of screwed themselves. And I think Kirby is going to relish the next couple of years, just making them, making them feel that kind of just rubbing their face in the mud. Um, but do you really, do you think that that's like a goal of his like to get Paul Johnson fired? Oh uh, yes. I think he hates having to play that offense. I think he does. I mean, he, Kirby makes it very clear. He does not relish that at all. Like, it, it's, yeah, a, it's like an annoyance. In the broadcast, how you know the, some of the people asked him, would he ever consider you know adding another triple option team like Mark Rick used to do uh, to practice for them?" And he said, "No chance, no chance." Man, why would and honestly, any team like why would any team ever schedule a triple option offense? Like, why would Alabama? Why did Alabama schedule a Citadel? Uh, you know, that's a good question. When they don't have to, yeah. Why would you ever do that? Because you're just setting yourself up to, to number one, maybe get some injuries. Number two, you have to play an offense, a game plan for an offense that you never play. It's like nothing else you play in any way, shape, or form. Your calls, your technique, everything's totally different, and it just it messes. With it. I mean, we we have to spend time during uh, fall camp, during our bye week, whenever we can, in other weeks when we have a little bit of time to prepare for this one game against Tech because it's just so different than everything that we do. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Kirby, clearly, I know for a fact that he hates playing it. So, it would be interesting to see how that plays out. But, um, you know, if, if you... I just thought it interesting because what have you ever seen Kirby actually say something at a press conference? Like that. that. Yeah, like that. I mean, that, that was very pointed. Uh, he's usually... He'll be open about his players, but he's usually very diplomatic when it comes to other coaches, you know, and other programs. Um, and so that was, that was a little, that was a little interesting there. So that was a good call on that one, man. Uh, I will say though, if he's, if he was really serious about that, why not run the score up and score 70 on him? Cause we easily could have. Well, I think that was to pull out the stars, take no chance and any more hits to their knees and stuff. Yeah. But we still could have scored with our backups if we wanted to. Like we literally were not, not even trying to score after that, but yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, I'm gonna, we talked about the offense a little bit here. I'm going to bring up this next thing here, Kurt. We've scored touchdowns. Uh, before, well, with, when we had the starters in, we scored uh, a touchdown. Actually, the SEC Network had this had this stat wrong. I, I think on the broadcast they said that we had scored 13 touchdowns in a row. We actually kept the field goal last week once against UMass. So, but 14 of the last 15 possessions that were not either end of games situations or like right before the half where we ran out of time, we had scored touchdowns uh, while our starters were in the game uh, up until like what midway through the third quarter against Tech. Uh, our offense is operating at an extraordinarily high level in general right now. I think the last since that LSU game where we were a train wreck for a lot of different reasons, we have been performing at just a totally different level. Yeah, we did have some issues in the red zone there for a couple of games. It seems like at least to a degree, and knock on wood, we'll have a real test on Saturday against Bama. But we've somewhat gotten that straightened out a little bit against some lesser defenses. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge that. But we have been operating. Yeah, sometimes it's just a mental thing, right? Yeah. But, I mean, it's just we've been so efficient of late. And this offense, I think, I think honestly, our offense is playing as well as it has, I think, the last two years combined maybe right now, the way we're just churning right now. That's perfect time too. Exactly. I think that's, that was my point. It was like we, we haven't been as good as Alabama all year long. We have not been. Early in the year, no way. We weren't, we weren't there yet. We had a lot of young guys. We're working things in. We're working progress. Kirk kept saying every week we are a work in progress. And we are still a work in progress. I will still say that. We still have not gotten – I don't know if we're as good as we could potentially be. But we have gotten a lot better. 
Yeah, as our, I've only said last year I thought our offense kind of peaked early. Yeah, I, I agree. And like we're, and this is an old cliche. Like you want to peak at the right time, right? Like if you want to use, look at college basketball, talk about, talk about March Madness. You want you don't want a team that peaks in December, like in the non-conference schedule. Like they go out and win Maui, but they peak in peak in that in, in, in November or December, and then it comes to March, and then they fizzle out, right? Well, I think we're the team that's getting like, like remember Syracuse a couple years ago, or was it two years ago? Made a run to the Final Four, I want to say, right? Uh, and like they weren't that good the regular season, but they peaked at the right time. They got hot. I'm starting to get. Are you getting that feeling? I am a little bit with this offense. Are you getting that feeling right now? Um. Yeah, and I think you know, I, I have. I've said that for a while. I felt like we we're starting to peak and get better. I mean, you're seeing it on both sides of the ball, though. Let's be honest; it's not just offense. Yeah, we are. Our defense is getting better. Even like, and I know I criticize them because they they're just. I still not sure they're good enough, and I hope they prove me wrong next week. But even our even the linebackers are getting better. You know. Uh, still not as good as still a drop off from last year. Obviously, that, then that's okay because they're not Roquan Smith, but they're getting better. Uh, the defensive line, I think, has come a long way. Think about like week one, week two, week three. Don't you think our defensive lines come a long way? Oh, a, a very long way. I mean, in our secondaries played at a high level. I think most of the year, without Tyson Campbell's had his some of his issues. I think Eric Stokes being plugged in there has really brought something to our secondary. Because, I mean, let's be real. Campbell is going to be a really good player for us, man. He's going to be really, really good. I'm not giving up on him at all. But you bring in Eric Stokes, the guy's just making plays on the ball more. His awareness is there. I mean, he had another play on a third. Was that a third or a fourth down? I think it was actually a fourth down, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was a fourth down where he, where he strips the ball or knocks the ball away there. He's in position, just like Campbell's in position, but he's making more. He's making better plays on the football. His awareness is there. Uh, so, I mean, and the secondary's been playing really well all year for the most part, especially in, in, in pass coverage. So you add in that defensive line, linebackers improving. Some of these young guys, these really talented young guys that really weren't a factor early on, they're all getting better. They're becoming more of a, a part of the game plan. And it's just we're a different team than we were, you know, against LSU. I mean, if we played LSU next week in the title game, what do you think the score would be? Uh, a lot to a little. I think we'd beat them by three-plus touchdowns. I really do. Uh, now, and I know. What was that? Similar to Auburn last year. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I yeah, and I think I think the Auburn team last year is better than this LSU team. Uh, we played as we played very poorly against LSU on the road. They played really well. Got to give them credit. I know it's easy to say, well, we were the better team. We still lost, but I, I believe that. I mean, you see that every week. I mean, like I know they won the game, but Ohio State against Maryland uh, last week, Ohio State is clearly the better football team, but they still. Should have lost that football game if Maryland complete, complete a pass on the two point conversion or the play is wide open. They should have lost that football game. Maryland's not better than Ohio State. Ohio State just played bad. And it was the same thing for us against LSU. Um, if we played them again, we'd beat the holy crap out of it. We just, God, we screwed ourselves. It's on us. We did it. Uh, they played well, so give them credit on that day. But I mean, but we even like from that point to where we are now, we are a totally different football team. And uh, I know that, and we'll talk about this a lot more throughout the week, obviously, with Alabama. I know the conventional wisdom is that we're just a sacrificial lamb, right? Yeah. I'm not so sure that's the case. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say it's likely that we're going to win. I'm not going to predict it right now. But I, feel, I honestly, I, I talked about how nervous I was coming to this Tech game. I don't feel those same nerve, those same nerves about this game against Alabama. I really don't. And, and they're I mean, really my, good. My whole attitude is, uh, what do you have to lose? House money, baby. Yeah. There is, there is. It's, it's like it's liberating, right, to be able to play with that kind of mentality. Yeah, I honestly feel like, you know, people are talking about 
I mean, you know, we'll talk about it more, like you said, during the week, but people ask me, are you going to be heartbroken if you lose? And my thing is, you know, of course, I'll be sad if we lose, but I, I, I'm going into this game, you know, not feeling scared for once. I'm not scared. Like, and, and I, like, when we lose, guys, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm sure a lot of you guys are like me. Uh, I go into like a catatonic state. Like I can't listen to, to I can't read sports stuff. I can't listen to sports radio. So I can't watch ESPN. I, I go into like a, a media blackout because it just pains me to even hear it. I don't want to hear it all. Uh, and so like I'm always that's one of the reasons I get so nervous. That I just can't take the pain of losing. Like I'm one of those guys. Like it feels great to win, but it hurts. It hurts to lose way more than it feels good to win. I, I I've always been that way. Uh, but I still, I still love winning. I just got it. It sucks, man. I hate it. I can't stand it. I'm like a zombie. Um, but so that's one of the reasons I get so nervous about these games. I don't. I don't have that feeling in Alabama because, like, it's partly because we're supposed to lose, right? Yeah. I mean, we're supposed to lose. If we do, it's uh, you know we lost. I want to win. It's going to suck if we lose. But hey, you know the Sugar Bowl is a nice consolation, and, and this is a transition year anyway, right? It was supposed to be. Uh, was I think I, the number I saw recently was like sixty eight percent of our team is like is underclassmen, freshmen, and sophomores. Is that right? Sixty eight percent. Yep. Yeah, sixty eight percent. Right, are freshmen and sophomores. Uh, so this is clearly a transition year. Where all those these great recruiting classes that Kirby's put together are still young, and they had they're not the upperclassmen yet. Uh, we still have some guys that are talented, but we also have they're not quite as talented as the guys that we've got uh, that are that are the underclassmen. So this is we the the fact that we're eleven and one right now with a chance to beat Bama or to play Bama at least for a shot in the playoff, like that's crazy. I mean, this, this it wasn't really supposed to happen this year like that. I mean, if you really look at it, so, I mean, all the and all the starters we lost, all the the stars and leaders we lost. So, I mean, we're playing with house money, and if we lose, then we're going to the Sugar Bowl and be a great time, and then we'll be back next year, the next year, the next year, competing for a playoff spot. But I think, and I don't know how the players are feeling, but I know, at least from the fan perspective, it feels good, kind of liberating, kind of go in there with house money and just lay it all on the line, just whatever happens, happens, you know? That's, uh, and I think the pressure's on Bama, but we'll see. We'll get into that more later this week. But uh, anything else on the Tech game, Kurt? No, I think we touched on yeah. it. I mean, you know, we just really dominated the game. Yeah. Simple. Just a beatdown, right? Yeah. Just nothing nothing more to say than that. But all right, guys, really do appreciate you guys taking time to, to listen to us here on the on the Glory J podcast. Appreciate each and every one of your support. Uh, again, thank you to everyone out there who is already subscribed to our premium content on Podbean. If you haven't uh, given it a shot yet, give it a shot. Give it a free week and just kind of see what we got going on. We'll be talking about the, uh, the SEC Championship game this week. We'll have our mailbag show. And we'll also have our SEC Championship game preview show uh, at the end of the week to get you guys ready for a major matchup against the Alabama Crimson Tide. We all know that. We don't have to talk about that, um, how big that is. We all know how big it is. But anyway, guys, thanks again. Uh, for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go Dawgs.